Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much um, for life happening in our church family. Um, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity for us to know your son, Jesus. Bless our time in your word this morning. Help us to see it, hear it, and put it into action in our life. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Would you go ahead and stand with me? And we're going to read God's word together this morning, just verses 11 through part of 16 of Galatians one. So let's read this with one another. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles." Thank you for reading God's word and you may be seated. So this is week two in our series in Galatians. I'm grateful, as I've said before, for us to be able to walk through a whole epistle together. I challenged you last week right here on stage and also through social media to read all of Galatians every week over the next 13 weeks with the hope that we would have an incredible familiarity, dare I say even become experts in this little letter that he wrote to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, maybe next week, if you read it, all of it in its entirety. Uh, last week, I invited you to expand your capacity to care for the truth, because that's what Paul is doing here. He is really concerned with the truth, Jesus. And he's concerned by what the Galatians have since received from others that has twisted the truth. And so I've encouraged you, beginning last week, over the course of these 13 weeks, may God expand our understanding and care for the truth and care for real people in our life and all those God puts in our path who might encounter the truth in us. I want us to care for the truth and care for People And the truth that Paul was most concerned about in this letter is answering this question that I mentioned briefly last week, and we're going to hear it over and over again over the next 13 weeks. The question is that he's most concerned about is, what is required for someone to enter God's kingdom? And these churches in Galatia have been receiving mixed signals mixed messaging about the answer to that question. And so Paul, who cares about the truth and cares about these people, wants to get back to the heart of the truth, the answer to that question. Now to get there, he wants to spend a little time in reminding these 
people that he loves and these churches that they can trust what he has to say about the truth, about the truth. And that's where we are today. One of the things I mentioned that I was also excited about this series is that um, we get a little closer picture of Paul's life, um, some more details that we don't get in other uh, texts. Um, And so we find that here. And so let me just read these verses again. Um, and see what Paul has to say about himself and why they can trust the message that he's delivered to them about the truth. In verse 11, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Paul wants them to understand very clearly that the truth that he received, that he's calling truth of the capital T, this was not something they came up with. He's saying, I want you to know we did not come up with this message, he and the other apostles. This was not something that they manufactured. This was not something that came out of any type of... they figured it out. None of it came by way of human reasoning and logic. He wants them to know that his source is not a human source. It is not him. In fact, if you read verses 13 and 14, where he gives us a snapshot of his life, he says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion how I violently persecuted God's church. I, I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Paul says, listen, there's no way I could have conceived this anyway because I'm the last person that would have come up with something like this because I was so committed with deep conviction and zeal and passion to advance Jewish tradition and customs according to the law. I mean, uh, Paul wants them to know, listen, I, I put it all out on the line. Not only was I a rising star among the Pharisees, not only was I looked to because of my knowledge and my leadership and my zeal, but I did everything I could to preserve the truth that we held in this Jewish tradition and the law. And anyone who would try to Add to that or take away from it, I was on them. In fact, listen, I I was a persecutor of the church, he said. I'm a preserver of our traditions. I'm the last person that would have come up with something like this. Not me. Paul says, it is not us. We're not the originators of this truth of the gospel that we're calling the good news. In fact, he says, if you move on down to verse 18, he says, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. He says, listen, and furthermore, I, I didn't even, once I received this revelation, I didn't go and consult anybody about it. This is not a, 
a humanity thing. Jesus says something interesting when he's talking about what he's about to do. He doesn't flesh it all out. I mean, obviously the apostles are still trying to figure things out in Jesus's teaching, but he says something really profound. He says, you know, perhaps someone might die for a righteous person. And someone that's really good might motivate you towards self-sacrifice. But no one, no man, no woman would give of themselves and sacrifice themselves as someone who's not worthy of it. And this is Jesus's point, is that man cannot conceive and love people the way that God has chosen to love people. Because even while they were enemies, even while they rebelled against God, right in the middle of their rebellion, God loved through Christ. Man doesn't come up with that stuff. That's what Paul's saying. Because of our own brokenness and sin, and we don't come up with this. This came from somewhere else. Where did it come from? Well, James 1.17 reminds us that all good gifts come from where? All good and perfect gifts come from God, our Father. And so this is certainly true. This is what Paul is trying to say. All good news comes from above. Have you ever started in one place and ended up somewhere else that you didn't anticipate because you had an interruption or an encounter that sent you down a different trail? That's Paul's story. He had a divine encounter, a divine interruption, that good news, that good gift that only came from above, not from the human imagination or human reason or human logic. It was an interruption into his life, an encounter with a revelation of Jesus Christ that changed everything. That's Paul's story. Do y'all know Paul's story? Paul, like I just said a few moments ago, was committed to advancing Judaism. He was a devotee, so devoted, a rising star. In fact, he was so devoted that he was willing, as the church was beginning to bubble up all around him and all this teaching about Jesus, he was willing, we've got to snuff that out. I've got to protect this thing that we have And so the scriptures remind us in Acts chapter nine that Paul, who was called Saul at the time, was on his way with Damascus, with papers, with permission to throw Christians into prison, to find people who are following the way of Jesus and put them into prison. And all along the way, including his entourage, or on the way, including his entourage, there is this this light from heaven And it's so startling and so overwhelming that he falls to his knees. And he says, who are you? He hears this voice from heaven. Who are you? And the voice is the voice of Jesus. And Jesus says, it is Jesus the Christ, the one whom you are persecuting. And everyone around him can hear this commotion, but they don't understand what's going on. And once the light leaves, it remains, he remains Blind. The scripture says as if he has scales on his eyes. So he has this incredible encounter with Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. 
this divine interruption as he's on his way to persecute and throw Christians into prison. It changes everything. Changes everything. He was blind for three days, didn't eat for three days. They took him to Damascus and God gave a vision to Ananias. Ananias, who was a follower of Jesus, a follower of the way, a disciple of Christ, came and found him, prayed over him. And the scales were removed. And in that moment, Jesus commissioned Paul to bring the gospel to kings and to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. Changed his life. Paul had a divine interruption, a divine encounter, not of human making, but of Jesus himself. That's what it says in verse 12. I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ Verse 15, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus. Jesus, the son, was revealed to Paul and it changed his life. Now, I want you to notice he uses these words, even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Grace, with emphasis on grace and chosen. Now, the reason that's important, because he just told us, remember, I was a rising star among the Pharisees. If anyone knew the law and had the law together, it would be me. I had all the requirements of the law. There was no one who did it better than me, no one who knew it better than me. But Jesus did not choose me based upon my ability and knowledge to obey the law. It's very important. Paul says, I want you to know it wasn't because I had the law all together that I met the criteria, that I had proved myself worthy. I was chosen by God's grace. Even before I was born, God had set me aside for this task. It's important to know as we get more into Galatians. I also want you to know that this revelation that Jesus received wasn't a meeting where Jesus outlined the good news on a napkin. It wasn't an exchange of ideas. This revelation of Jesus Christ wasn't Jesus coming and saying, hey, let's sit down, let's figure this out together. This is what we're gonna be doing now. The revelation wasn't an argument, a case, or even news. The revelation was Jesus himself. The revelation was him interacting, bumping up against a person who God sent his son in real History, God at work in real history as a real person. That was the game changer. And that's the game changer for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're just not a follower of a set of ideas. You had to respond to a person who is the Son of God, He is the truth, He is the way. He doesn't just talk about the truth or point to the way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. 
Paul was responding to revelation of a real person, and that person was Jesus, the word. Stopped him in his tracks, changed his life, it changed his destination, it changed his vocation, it changed his message, it changed his thinking about everything. And this is precisely why Paul cares so much about the truth because he bumped up against the real person, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. His life couldn't help but change. Paul wants us to know, listen, there was a time, there was a time that I was not open to the truth. My heart was closed. My heart was set one particular direction and then I met Jesus. And everything changed. So Paul had a divine interruption, a divine encounter with Jesus that changed it all. And in that revelation of the person of Jesus Christ, that encounter, what happened, Paul experienced some significant paradigm shifts in his own thinking, in his own life, in his own mission. We see that in verse 16. Then it pleased the Father to reveal his Son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Now there's two paradigm shifts here. One is he's proclaiming good news. There's something new about the work of Jesus that needs to be delivered. And also, it's delivered to Gentiles, which means other ethnic groups other than the Jewish people. Both of those were significant paradigm shifts. Major direction change. Although that's, God had planned that change all along. It wasn't a change in God's plan. I'll talk about that more in a moment. But it, it, it resulted in significant paradigm shifts. So what, what, one, what is the good news and how is that a paradigm shift for Paul? And, and two, what's the business about Gentiles? which is also a paradigm shift, just quickly. The good news that Paul is now commissioned to deliver is simply the Messiah has come. God's kingdom has come in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And he did far more than anyone could have imagined no one, not the Pharisees, not those who knew the law backwards and forwards, not the Sadducees, knew all that God was gonna do through Jesus. But what did he do? God provided a way for every nation, every ethnic group, every person to become a child of God by the undoing of the curse of sin through Christ. And all of that, can be received by faith alone. What good news. What good news. Romans 7, 21 through 8, 4. I'm gonna read this and I really want you to try to pay attention to what Paul writes about the relationship between the law and this good news of Jesus. He says, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, 
I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. The law was never the problem. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this kind of life that is dominated by sin and death? This is what Paul's saying. The law could never achieve the righteousness and kind of life I longed for. I long to be able to walk with God without this this enslavement to sin, a heart that wanted nothing to do with God and the things I wanted to do, I didn't do. And the law couldn't fix that. Then he goes on. But thank God, verse 25. Thank God the answer is in a person, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. The law couldn't achieve what I desperately needed. The law can't achieve what we desperately needed. God knows that. He knew it from the very beginning. That wasn't the purpose of the law. The law was never intended to redeem or to get your life right or to make things right or to change your heart. The law is unable to do that. The law can point us to the kind of heart that we need and how we ought to relate to God, but it is not sufficient to do what really needs to be done. But he says, the answer is Jesus. That's the good news. Verse eight, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to the law? No. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable, never able to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. The law doesn't kill us, our sinful nature does. This law just makes it evident. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Paul was now on a mission to deliver that good news. Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, did something the law could never do. God planned all along that Jesus would be the very fulfillment of the requirements of the law. Jesus did it. And all you need is to receive the person, Jesus. That's good news. Jesus had... In a lot of interesting encounters after he fed the 5,000. Obviously, it was astounding what he did, and maybe not everyone knew that incredible miracle, but his apostles did. But there was a group of people that stuck around and came up to Jesus and said, um, we, we want to do the same things that you... How, how do we do that? Listen to Jesus' response. In fact, they ask, what kind of work do we need to do? 
to do that. Jesus says, this is the work that's required of you, to believe in the one he has sent. They wanted to know what else they needed to do, what other work, what other command, what other other thing they had to, a ritual or something else they needed to obey and Jesus simply says, you believe in the one, the person. Receive all of that by faith. Paradigm shift. It really wasn't a shift so much as it was a fulfillment of what God had promised all along. Jesus was the answer to the, he was the fulfillment of the covenant. He was the, the, he was the fulfillment of the demands of the law. He was the fulfillment of every single promise that he had made to Israel. But now, not just for Israel, which isn't new either, but the paradigm shift for Paul was now this, all these promises, this covenant is now available to people that weren't Jews. Paradigm shift. God is redeeming a new multi-ethnic family. That was revolutionary thinking for the Jewish world at the time. You mean them too? Jesus says the whole world, multi-ethnic family, doesn't matter where you're from, your your background, your story, your experiences, your baggage, doesn't matter how sinful you've been, how righteous you've been, color of skin, color of hair, language you speak. It doesn't matter. Now all the promises of God. You know how you enter the kingdom of heaven? It doesn't matter where you are on the planet. You enter by faith in the person Jesus Christ and that's good news for everybody. Paradigm shift. Let me pause just for a minute and I wanna say this very clearly. Sometimes in evangelical Protestant life, we can have the idea that somehow law, the law was God's plan A and Jesus was God's plan B. That's not the message of the scriptures. It wasn't that Jesus came to scrap the law. In fact, that's what they accused him of. You're here to undo the law, subvert the law. Jesus says, no, I came to fulfill it, to do it in my life so I could meet the demands or the requirement of the wrath of God against your life. Requirement of God's righteousness. Jesus is not, has always been God's plan A. In fact, Paul didn't stop being Jewish. Likely to the very end of his life, he was still going to synagogue and participating in those treasured, valued traditions and celebrations of what God has done in Jewish past. Jesus was a fulfillment. But now that's all the world needed. The world didn't need the law. They just needed Jesus. There are three takeaways that I want to mention this morning that hopefully will resonate with all of us. The first takeaway is this. A real encounter with Jesus changes everything. Radically changed Paul's life. I mean, he saw the truth up close. He cared deeply about what is true. And Jesus. 
A real encounter with Jesus changes everything. Have you had a real encounter with Jesus like that? I mean, I know, I know you, you haven't had light from heaven stop you in your tracks. Maybe. But we had the testimony of that happening in Paul's life. Have you had, have you had a real encounter with Jesus that has changed and shifted the paradigms of your own life? If you haven't, your Jesus might look more like that. We put googly eyes on him. Second. Second takeaway is we all need constant reminders of what is true. We need constant reminders of who we are in Jesus. We need constant reminders of our kingdom purpose. We need constant reminders of how how are we called to live and follow after Jesus in this life until he returns because this life is hard and there's so many other competing ideas and thoughts and opinions about life and truth with a lower case T. We need constant reminders of what is true And that's why there's such value in God allowing us to have a copy of his written word which carries with us the testimony of the the law, the prophets and the apostles testifying to Jesus Christ. We, We get those reminders by engaging God's word together by the power of the spirit of God. When we open God's word with one another, we see Jesus. That's how Jesus talks about it in John 14 and John 16 that I'm sending my spirit and my spirit will remind you of all the things that I've said and things that I've done so you can capture it and write it down so the whole world can believe and see who I am. We need those reminders. Don't take for granted meeting together in fellowship over God's word and praying together that we might see God together and be reminded that we're called to be a part of what he's doing in all the world. If we don't If we don't participate in those constant reminders, again, we walk away oftentimes with a Jesus like that that becomes a masquerade of who Jesus really is. I mean, our world has so much things to say about Jesus who they think they are. It's so easy if we don't have constant reminders just to say, oh yeah, Jesus is like that. Or the truth is like that. No, we need constant reminders of what is true. Find a Bible study group. Interacting community, read the scriptures together, remind each other who Jesus is, remind each other of purpose. Lastly, only Jesus, the person, can expand your capacity of your heart to care about the truth and care for other people, which is kind of like the second one. If you're hoping to hold on to and care about the truth and really love your neighbor as yourself, the only way you're gonna do that is having ongoing encounters with a real person of Jesus Christ in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us. Thank you for the testimony of Paul who had that divine interruption, divine encounter in real history, in real time who testified to the truth, your son Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment of every single promise you've given. Help us to love him, trust him, follow him. And may we remind one another of who we are in Jesus every single day, as often as we have opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.